0: Is that you, Corey? Yes. Thank you. Let's pray together and we'll get started. Father, I can't thank you enough for the spirit of true fellowship, the joy that's in this room, the friendships that we have because you call us your friend. And Lord, we learn a lot of good things in life, a lot of good things from your word, as we study your word, as we sing your word. And yet, Lord, you're always nudging us to move from the good things to the better things, and then eventually to the best things you're always giving your best, so help us this morning to give you our best, as we listen not with our ears, but with our hearts, as we hear the still small voice of your Spirit, Lord, the Spirit that moved men's hearts to write this book. So we ask you these things. And also ask you to answer this prayer far above and beyond even what has been prayed. Because you want to change our lives. That we would leave this camp far more in love with you than when we came. So Abba, Father, we love you and we thank you for the grace and mercy that will answer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that surprised me the most when I first became a youth pastor was how I could teach a Sunday school lesson, come into the sanctuary for the main service, and two or three of the main things I talked about in Sunday school without coordinating it with the senior pastor, he spoke about the exact same things. Same cross-references I would use that we would go to, he would use in his sermon. The same thing is true at First Baptist Church of Jackson. When I teach Sunday school and come into the sanctuary, it doesn't matter who's preaching. Pastor Tom, Pastor Jay, Pastor Stephen. It's amazing how God's hand is always shaping what He once said that entire morning. And this morning, the same thing happened. Stephen and I did not coordinate the music he chose with the message And it tied perfectly. Because that's the way God is always working. You know, I shared with you yesterday, last night, how my number one disciple was killed in that horrible accident. But there's more to the story. Because I was really downcast. I was hurting Because I planned, my plan was to build the entire youth group around his fire and his heart for the Lord. So obviously after the funeral, you go out to the cemetery to have the uh, final statements and prayer and etc. And I'm just saying, Lord, help me through this. Uh, I don't have the strength to even speak the words that need to be said right now. So we got through that part, and when it was over, I felt a tap on the shoulder. And the young man that was on the back of the motorcycle that flew over and landed in the yard said, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, and he said, over here. And we walked about four rows of headstones over. And he said, this is simple. I need Jesus now. He said, I'm not waiting another minute. My friend shared Christ with me over and over and over. And I just thought, "Uh, I I don't really need Jesus yet. My my life's okay. But with his death, he said, I got a good slap in the face, a healthy, God-ordained, loving slap in the face that says, wake up wake up and die right. Don't you waste another minute of your life thinking I can put this off till tomorrow because you have just realized there may not be a tomorrow. And God may not have caused the accident, but whether we like to even think this way, He allowed it. And at that point in time, all I was thinking was, where do we go from here? And the one thing we're going to talk about this morning, when we tie together that you really believe that God is your personal I am, that he's always going before you and behind you, laying his hand upon you, and that such knowledge, such wisdom is too wonderful, it's too awesome for me to fully comprehend until a tragedy hits my life, and I now believe that verse because I've lived it. And I've sensed His hand on my life. And when you get to that stage of working through some kind of tragedy and getting that much closer to God, what we're going to talk about this morning is the next stage of what God does to grow you through difficult times. And that is for you to learn that the safest place to be is in a healthy biblical fear of God. And as I mentioned to you, I believe last night, briefly, the fear of the Lord is not like this. I, I'm cowering. The fear of the Lord is you putting your arms out and embracing God because that fear of the Lord is a reminder that it's, He's creating a more holy respect for who He is. That's what that fear is. A reverential, deep trust That no matter what I'm going through, the only thing I have to fear is fear itself. The fear of the Lord lifts me out of these scenarios. And one of the things I learned through this difficulty with Doug is when we go through difficult times, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this, Satan starts that subtle little whisper, Where's your God now? Where's your God now? Can you trust him when things aren't going your way? Or do you only praise him when he's answering all your prayers and everything's going just like you want it to go? And a dear pastor friend of mine who's been pastoring for 60 years, one day we were having lunch and he was going through a difficult time. And he said, Rory, I'm learning that I'm winning when I think I'm losing that I'm never losing when God's got my back as the I am. And He's shaping a more healthy, submissive respect to no matter what I go through in life, I'm going to trust Him. All the way. I'm not going to try and figure it out. I may have to take baby steps of faith to get there before I start running the race. But I'm going to at least take those steps and see what happens. And one of the things I learned through this whole process of of difficult times and that subtle whispering of Satan is one of the hardest things for us in our culture, especially today in the ugly world we live in, is learning to listen to the right voices. That's why throughout your Bible, you see a phrase over and over and over and over. Verily, verily, I say unto you. You have heard, but I say unto you. And verily, verily, literally is the word for also amen. And it's also the word for truth. So where we're heading this morning, as we keep stacking these stones of, do I really believe this? between my ears? I mentally acknowledge it. Or do I believe it in my heart? Because when I believe it in my heart, it affects the way I live. Because sometimes we've just got it up here, and it's affecting the way I'm thinking, but the thinking hasn't moved into life change yet. It hasn't moved into rubber-hit-the-road yet. So, let's walk through this together. The context, when we really trust God's faithfulness, as you sang this morning, as the I am that I am, you will fear the Lord in a healthy, submissive, respectful trust. So letter A, remember as we stack these stones of what God is teaching you individually, you will be protected treasuring God's love that you really believe God will never leave me or forsake me because love will never leave you and forsake you and the Bible teaches God is love so let's turn to Isaiah 33 and verse 6 just a small picture of this if you remember the context of Isaiah nobody's listening to him 10% 10% of the people in chapter 6 are even willing to listen to him. But 90% of the Jews are rejecting him as they rejected all of God's prophets. And in 33.6, you're familiar with it. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and unstable days. That's the context. And strength of salvation. You're going to find out how strong you are in difficult days. And how stable your faith is. And notice the colon, which means there's a cause and effect here. God is doing something, and here's what He's doing. He's teaching you the fear of the Lord is His treasure. The greatest treasure you have is no matter what's going on, you trust God. That's what the fear of the Lord means. But I want you to notice something. There's a phrase repeated over and over in our Bible, and it's the phrase wisdom and knowledge, that first sentence. Wisdom and knowledge. And it's always in that order for this reason. In the Bible, God is wisdom. In the New Testament, Jesus is called wisdom. Wisdom is the holiest truth God can give you. Knowledge is knowing what to do with that truth. It's the common sense application. God just doesn't teach you something to fill your head with wisdom. He's going to give you a wisdom that grants common sense. One of the most beautiful things about being married to a godly woman for 48 years is she has more common sense than I could ever imagine Having and the way she handled the growth of our kids and the way she talked with them, so forth and so on. So, again, remember in Joshua it said, Remember these stones as you stack them. These, these are key issues. Let her be. We're not going to look at all these verses for the sake of time, but remember God guards your heart as you abide fully satisfied in His Word. Turn with me to Proverbs 19. (laughs) What I'd encourage you to do as we wrap this up today is choose two or three verses that just speak to your heart individually and memorize them. And the reason I say it that way is we're all in different places of life and faith and maturity how deep our wisdom and knowledge is. But choose some of these verses that really prick your heart and memorize them. And that is a way that God even more fully engrafts those words into your heart, as James teaches. Proverbs 19.23. This is worth memorizing. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And in this context, it's spiritual life. It's an abundant life. And there's a colon Cause and effect. When that fear of the Lord is really touched your life, he that hath it, the fear of the Lord, shall abide, that means a tight connection, like two hands coming together, shall abide satisfied. You will have a satisfied life. And then the next part is critical He shall not be visited with evil. That means Satan can show up, but he can't stay. He can't visit. He can't hang around. He can whisper. He can try and draw you away from your faith, away from your fear of the Lord, but he can't hang around. That's what Psalm... The psalm we looked at last night, where God's going before you and behind you, laying His hand upon you. And if God's hand is on you, Satan's hands cannot be on you. It's that simple. So, let's look at this in more of a content way. How many times in the Scripture did people come up to Jesus and say, Are you really the Christ? Are you really the Messiah? And Jesus always used the same word, come. Come and see Do you really want to know? There are degrees of seeing in this room right now. There are some of you that are focused like a laser beam. And this is reality. And some of you, your minds are fading a little bit. Some of you are way out there. And that's reality. That's why you never know how Jesus is going to work in an audience because Jesus never force feeds anyone. And he just said, come and see. And those that came, he said, come and be with me. Now that you've seen who I am, do you really want to know me, or just do you want to know about me? Come and be with me. And then he said, come and follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Everything I'm going to give you, you're going to have a responsibility to give to somebody else. I don't bless you so you can warehouse it and say, oh, look what I know. No, I'm giving this to you to pass it on. So come, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Let's turn to Psalm 34. A little bit to your left. Hearken means just listen very carefully. Because the fear of the Lord is learned. That's what you have to remember. God just doesn't drop it in your lap. You really learn what this means to fear the Lord. And again, Psalm 34:11. Come ye children children implies that you're teachable with childlike faith. Hearken unto me, colon, cause and effect, and I will teach you. Not some man behind a little wooden platform here, but the Holy Spirit will teach you the fear of the Lord because it's the beginning of wisdom. We're already in this context. A little bit to your left. uh, 33.18 Behold, And behold means grab onto this and don't let it go. This is invaluable. The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him. Upon them, because of that fear, you have hope. I have hope in His mercy. And mercy means God will never give me what my sins deserve, He's always merciful. And in that context, when that's happening in your life, as an added note, look at verse 20. When you've experienced the fear of the Lord and that hope and mercy, you don't mind learning to wait on God. Our soul waiteth for the Lord, for He is our help and He is our shield. So we're just going to walk through a few verses here. Letter A. The fear of the Lord cleanses us from all worry. I don't know about you, but I am very prone in my flesh to worry about something every day that I have to say, Lord, I've got to give this to you because I can't change the circumstances. So I have to trust you in these circumstances. So making us righteous, full of truth, a little bit to your left, Psalm 19, 9. And the reason I always put a verse when I'm teaching something is I want you to know this isn't my idea. This isn't my opinion. This is God telling you. And I'm just the messenger, per se, in this context. 19.9. This lists, Psalm 19 lists the different names of the Word of God. The law of the Lord in verse 7. The testimony in verse 7. The statutes of the Lord. The commandment of the Lord. But did you realize in verse 9 that the fear of the Lord is one of the names of the Word of God? That's one of the names of the Word of God as He's given you this list. And the fear of the Lord is clean, meaning it's always cleansing me of me. And it's enduring forever because it is the Word of God. And there's a colon. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And again, we talked about this, if I recall correctly, last night a a, a little bit. Righteous just means you believe right. And when you believe right, you behave right. You're not forcing the behavior. If you really believe this, the Spirit enables you to live it out. So in this context... Letter B, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom as we submit to God's Word. Turn to Psalm 111 and verse 10. It's one thing to hear God's Word. It's another thing to submit humbly to that Word. Psalm 111, verse 10. And here it is again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of knowing Christ. As a result of that fear of the Lord and that wisdom, a good understanding have all they that do His commandments. You're a doer of the Word, not just a hearer only. And there's another colon, because when you're doing God's commandments, you always have something to praise Him for. Always. His praise endureth forever. Now, here's something that we take for granted: the word "understanding." It's very important when you see a big word that you break it down. stand ing. It means you're willing to stand under the authority of God every day. The ing means a present tense every day. You love having Him instruct you because it's always for your best. And you do go from making good decisions to better decisions to the best decisions. And if you're not doing that systematically, I'm going to guarantee you right now, you're going to marry the wrong person. Because you will date the wrong person and you will have friendships with the wrong people. And God always is trying to move you in the direction that when you start that married life, that you have the best person possible to truly have a partnership in marriage. And when the divorce rate in the church today is 40%, it tells you that there's a lot of so-called Christians marrying the wrong people. Because they're not thinking biblically. They're not allowing God's guidance to shape that. Turn to Psalm 128 and verse 4, even though that's not in your notes. Psalm 128 and verse 4. Similar principle. Behold... Now, verse 1 for context. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. And, this, and our Bible, and you've heard this many times at our church, our Bible is a self-defining Bible. So in verse 1, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. And here's the de- definition of fearing the Lord. That walketh in His ways. When you fear God, you walk in His ways. You don't debate whether I'm going to do that. And then go down to verse 4. Behold, if you really understand this, that thus shall the man, the person, be blessed that feareth the Lord. All it does is bring blessings into your life. The next one. Letter C. The fear of the Lord engrafts praise into our spirit and souls that glorifies God. Turn to Psalm 22. Now, most of you probably understand what engrafts means. Within a mile of our house are three apple orchards. If an apple tree is bearing minimal fruit, small fruit, they make a V cut in that weak apple tree. And they take a branch off of a tree that the branches are bending down because there's so many apples on that tree. And they take a branch off of it and they engraft it into the wheat tree. And that branch takes the juice, if you will, sends it both directions. And now that tree, that Christian that's bearing no fruit, that God's engrafting Jesus' power into you, all of a sudden your life is fruitful. When your life is fruitful, your friendships are fruitful, your marriage is fruitful, your ministry is fruitful, and that's why the Bible always talks about the engrafting process. And that's when God moves it application-wise from your head to your heart, and you're living out that fruitfulness. In John 15, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So, in this context, 22-23, Ye that fear the Lord... Here's your self defining Bible again. Praise him. That's the norm. All ye seed of Jacob, all you Jews, that this message is primarily to in this context, glorify him. Well, how do you glorify him? By fearing him and praising him. And then he adds it again and fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. In light of all the blessings that God has given to Israel. The only nation in the history of the world that was removed off of its land. In the history of all mankind. And God took the Jews and put them back on their land. And you would think the Jews today would all be praising God for the only event like that in all history. And you know, we've had a number of people in our church go to Israel... And 1% of Jews are Christians. 1%. And about 90% are atheists who don't believe in God at all, and agnostics who think there might be a God. How is that possible? Hard-hearted. I don't care what that Bible says. God has shafted us. Our whole life, God has shafted us. No, you've shafted yourself by rejecting the grace and mercy and the fear of the Lord that he tried to give you. And no matter how many miracles he did. See, miracles don't give you faith. They build faith if you already have it. But they can't create a faith that isn't there. And that's proven by all the miracles God did from the Red Sea to, to, to burning Sodom and Gomorrah to, to ash. You know, today you can get on your computer and still see the wheels in the Red Sea of Pharaoh's chariots in the bottom of the Red Sea. And you can get on your computer and look at the scientist's study that when that fire came down from heaven and burnt the city of Sodom and Gomorrah to nothing, that ash goes so deep down into the ground that it's actually brimstone. It turned rock into boiled rock, if you would. lavenous type of rock. It, it's evidence. But all the physical evidence won't make you believe in God. It's a faith issue. Proven by the Jewish people. And again, most of you... Understand that. Letter D, Psalm 25, verse 14. The fear of the Lord deepens our faithfulness. I know when I first got saved, my first reaction was, what in the world can I do to pay God back? Why would He save this heathen dog that used His name in vain all the time and had zero interest at all in anything? How can I pay Him back? And that's how my first bur- burden was to reach the unsaved kids where I taught. And I immediately got involved in teacher training at the church so I could start teaching fifth grade boys. That's where my ministry started, fifth grade boys. Then junior high, then senior high, and then youth pastoring. But twenty-five, 14. Yeah, Am I getting ahead of myself here? Well, 25-14, we're there. The secret of the Lord. When you read your Bible, you are seeing insightful things. He's showing you things nobody else understands. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Like Daniel, he had this incredible wisdom. And he will show them his covenant. He will help you understand this book in this context. Did I skip 22, 23? Turn back there. Yes, I'm sorry, we did that. Okay, let's go to letter E. This is what aging causes when you're 73. I don't remember things five minutes later. I'm sorry. Letter E. The fear of the Lord causes us to trust Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and being. Standing in awe of His Word, when you see God fulfilling promise after promise after promise after promise to you and your family and your friendships and your church, you should just be awestruck. Why is God so good to us? And especially, why is God so good to me when I've not been that good to Him? I can't even remember the last time I tried to tell somebody about Christ. And yet, He's still blessing us. And we're not even fulfilling our mission, if you will. But as we learn the deep things of God, chapter 25, verse 14 again, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him and will show Him His covenant. And God, you can write down Daniel chapter 2, verse 22. Daniel 2, verse 22. Where God was always showing Daniel the deep things of God. So we're standing in awe of His Word. Turn to Psalm uh, 33, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Colon, why? Cause and effect. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. So he defines again, fear the Lord. You're awestruck by this book and all that God has done for you. Ninety-six-nine. Turn there to your right a little bit with me. The fear of the Lord inspires acceptable worship. You love to sing not just about God, but to Him. Acceptable worship in the beauty of holiness, 96.9. Same principle. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And he defines it. What is the beauty of holiness? Because God said, be ye holy as I am holy. Well, that's impossible. How can I be as holy as God is holy? And the only way that happens is he put his Holy Spirit in you. So you begin to think in holy ways and you do holy things. So, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, colon, fear before Him again, all the earth. Letter G, the fear of the Lord, is heart wisdom. To know God, again, eliminating that head knowledge we talked about. Uh, Turn to Proverbs 2 and verse 5. While you're turning there, this critical aspect of heart wisdom, eliminating head knowledge, About 8% of my youth group went to Cauga Valley Christian Academy, Christian school. Most of them were in Christian school from kindergarten on up. A lot of them were in the church nursery at birth. So they've been in church their whole life, going to Christian schools their whole life. And when we went on a mission trip, they had no interest in going, they didn't want discipleship. When we had an evangelistic outreach, they wouldn't come. So finally, I pulled a couple of them aside and said, hey, what's going on here? Come on. They said, we're so tired of reading the Bible. All day long, that's all we do at schools, read the Bible, take quizzes, Bible, Bible, Bible. And I thought, wow. Yet right now, I could probably give you a test, and you would pass it, not even knowing that the test was coming. And I said, here's your problem. You are biblically embalmed. You're like a spiritual corpse. You've had all this stuff pumped into you, and you could pass the test, but you couldn't tell me the meaning of the questions. That's why you don't care about lost souls. That's why you don't want to go on a mission trip. And finally, two kids broke the mold, two females, and the next thing you know, there was a half a dozen, and it started to finally break out where they realized to whom much has been given, much is required. God forbid that I should have all this knowledge and do nothing with it and mock God by not using it. And some of those young people today are actually pastors and pastors' wives and missionaries and missionaries' wives. But the one kid shocked me. He said, pulled me aside, and said I've tried to reach out to my next door neighbor and my parents won't let me. They don't want him to defile me. And I said, well, can you show me that in the scripture? Where you're not going to talk to an unbeliever lest they affect you more than you affect them? Can't you trust God with this? And this kid's dad just admonished him all the time. Why are you in that Bible so much? And sometimes the parents, Christian parents, can be the greatest enemy of the appetite of their children. And I don't see that in our church, at least that I'm aware of. But I was shocked that that could be an issue that hindered kids from wanting to be involved in a mission trip and discipleship. It was an eye-opener to me. And finally, letter H, before we go into some application. The fear of the Lord roots us. In the Bible, it says when the roots go down, the fruits come up. God's always deepening your root system. He's rooting you and grounding you in love and in Christ. Because those roots, again, in Romans eleven sixteen, 16, you can look that up later. It talks about uh, when the roots go down, the branches come up and the fruits come out. You and I are just branches. But if we're rooted in Christ, coming off that branch is fruit. And it's different fruit depending on the spiritual gifts that God is giving you. But you always have one fruit. I need to share this with somebody. But before I share it with them, I need to live it so I'm not a hypocrite telling them to do something that I'm not doing. So let's turn to Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And again, when I think of knowledge, I think of the humility to really know what I'm being taught. Knowledge demands humility. But fools, contrast, despise the wisdom that gives you that knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and instruction that gives you a practical use of how to use that wisdom. And that's why God's just never giving you this book to give you information. He's giving you this to give you inspiration to believe it and then live it out. Proverbs 9, verse 10. And then we'll move into a new section. You're familiar with this one, I'm sure. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There it is again. And the knowledge that comes out of that wisdom, the common sense... The knowledge of the Holy, the whole Trinity, this Holy Book, is again, understanding. You're standing under the authority of Jesus who taught you this. So, character application. When we are in settings like this, even when I was with the youth and doing retreats, my, my simple question would be, God's always planting His trees. He refers to men as trees in Scripture. And when God plants a tree, He plants it for one purpose. Fruit. That's all of John 15. So I've always asked my my youth, where's the fruit? Where is it? You can't hide fruit. I mean, it's obvious when there's an apple orchard, there's thousands of apples up and down through there. Same thing down in Florida, when you don't even see the orange trees, the smell of orange is right down the highways you're driving with your windows up. You know there's got to be a fruit orchard of oranges around here because of the sweet smell of the blossoms as they fall. So remember, fruit bearing flows from the fear of the Lord. Let's turn to Matthew 13. Now, this is where it gets real applicable. Is one of the first things Jesus starts to teach. In Matthew 13, 8. And again, whatever verses speak to you, you choose those to memorize them as the Lord leads you. He's talking about sowing seeds because the Bible is incorruptible seed. Verse 8, But other fell unto good ground. Every time you see the word good in the Bible, think godly. Remember when a rich young ruler came up to Jesus and said, Good teacher. Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? Only God is good. See, in the biblical culture, good always meant godly. See, in our culture, it's a good hamburger, you know, good car. But in the biblical times, that always meant God's influence was on that scenario. Oh, that's a good church. Well, that's a good application today because it means that godly people are there in this context. But Matthew 13 verse 8, but other fell into good ground. And what's the normal? Good seed, good ground brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, not every tree bears the same, not every saint bears the same. Some sixtyfold, but at least the weakest tree is bearing thirtyfold. Which God is always saying, you just get in this book and you watch me bear the fruit, but make sure it goes from your head to your heart. And the reason God does that is He doesn't want us passing our, patting our shelves on the, on the shoulder, so to speak, because we went on a mission trip and led 15 guys to the Lord. All the glory always goes to God because He planted the tree, provided the fruit, and just allowed you to have the experience of reaping that fruit. You know, one of the things that always bothered me is when I talk to youth pastors and they say, why is your youth group so going, growing so much? And I say, well, sometimes it's God blessing and sometimes it's tragedy. And I would use the illustration of my friend Doug. I said, you know, I was so heartbroken and downcast But God always takes the ugliest things imaginable and makes them incredibly beautiful. The youth in my youth group, when Doug died, a majority of them started thinking, what if that was me? Do I have the testimony that Doug had? Was I witnessing to person after person after person every day in school witnessing to somebody? Am I as ready to die as he was? And when God starts stirring that thinking process, just of self-introspection, how is my walk with the Lord? Guess what happened in our youth group? one person started to get together with another. And then there were two with four and four with eight sitting at the same lunch table at the same school. And a revival broke out. An all-out revival. And God did it all from these young people meeting with each other And just being honest with themselves. Where am I in my faith? When's the last time God did something in my life I can't explain because I was walking worthy of my calling? So when I saw that developing, I challenged them. I said, I'm just going to ask you to pray about it. I'm not telling you to do it. But ask the Lord if He wants you to have a vision to reach your entire school. Starting with you and one other person. Two of you touching two. Now you have four. Now you have eight. Now you have 16. Because God's in the multiplication business as you study the Bible. 30-fold, 60-fold, 90-fold. Our youth group that had roughly 80 people in it at that time. Six years later, five and a half. Had 185 high school students, and I had nothing to do with it. It was their burden to reach their schools. And one young man named Michael, very quiet young man, super intelligent, super. And he came to me one day as school was letting out, and he said, Pastor Rory, God's starting to just spark, a a little spark, a little fire in my heart, and my dad is lost. And he opposes me getting together with all the youth, etc. But my mom's on fire for God. He said, can you help me? I said, what do you mean? He said, can you spend time with me this summer? And his name was Mike kind of introverted, and I was surprised. I said, what are you looking for? He said, I don't know yet. He said, I need to know what I believe and why I believe it. I know a lot of what's, but I'm not sure I understand the why of how does it all fit and work. Well, long story short, I spent the summer with him. Pat and I took him on vacation with us for a week, my wife. Around Two days before school started, he said, Pastor Rory, God's shown me what I need to do. I said, what's that? He said, with just what you've shown me, I'm going to start a simple Bible study in my home. I've already talked to four guys, and they're willing to come. He started a Bible study, and I said, well, Mike, I can help you. He said, oh, no, no, no. You've already spent three months. What, what more do I need? I, I can tell them what the gospel is. And I said, okay. Four people. Three years later, by the third year, there were 58 students from Cahoga Falls High School in his basement, all from one young man wanting to reach three or four. And this we'll get into more in our next session, but this is where the hand of God, when God has a person who's sold out and he's given you a burden for a ministry, and this was for his school, here's what God did that was beyond explanation. Michael, being so intelligent, had a very small group of friends that were intelligent. He was kind of a geek, if you would. So intelligent, never had to study for a test. But God pulled one guy in who was a friend of one guy who was the captain of the baseball team. Super athlete. He was best friends with the captain of the swim team who happened to be a pastor's son. He was best friends with the valedictorian. He was best friends with the gal who had the lead in all the plays. She was best friend with the guy. God took the six sharpest athletes, drama, music, took the six sharpest students, and those six reached the other 45. God did that. God did all that because one young man was burdened to reach three or four in the school. And to show you how this sticks, about a month ago, not a month ago, a year ago, one of these young men, he called me. I'd not heard from him in 30 years. (laughs) Pastor in Arizona, senior pastor in Arizona, just telling me that his son just became the youth pastor. Evangelical Bible-preaching church. And he said, Pastor Rory, do you remember the day that I came forward to receive Christ in the church service? And you called me that night. I didn't even know who you were, except that my friends were in the youth group and one of them invited me. You called me that night and asked me if I would be willing to let you disciple me. Candidly, I forgot I discipled him (laughs) because I discipled so many. And he said, do you remember that? And I said, sorry, (laughs) I don't. He said, you just started me on the baby steps. And then he got involved with all the kids from the school and the main pastor's son that Stephen was good friends with, the Rob Provost, who today is a missionary in Albania, I don't know if he's still there, but Stephen went over, how these guys just started touching each other, and now there are pastors and pastors' wives all over out of this group of 58. One person. That's all God asked for. Do you have a vision for your school? If you do, find one other person who's willing to go out of their comfort zone and whether it's starting a Bible study at school, after school, or in the lunchroom, because part of this study, he said, would you come and have lunch with me one day? I've got four buddies that want to talk about dating and marriage. We're, 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 you know, we're going into our senior year. So I sat down. There's four guys. We're talking. Next thing I know, there's three here, three here, three. And there's 15 he says, can you come next week? And next week, there were sitting, there were 15, there were 15 more. There were 30 kids standing around this table because they had no guidance on anything regarding dating and marriage. And that's, of course, where your heartbeat is when you tend to be a junior or senior in high school. Your life can be built around that if you're not careful. But in all that, God did it. We didn't have that plan, but he did because one young man Stepped out of his faith because letter A, an application. The fear of the Lord inspires us to pursue holiness. God says, Be ye holy as I am holy. Well, how do you pursue holiness? By practicing godliness. By just doing what He's shown you you need to do. It's like stepping up a ladder. When you do that, He'll take you to the next room and the next room, and He builds your ministry. And you're already familiar with 1 Corinthians 15. We talked about it last night where Paul said, I die daily. God, I don't want my plan here. I want yours. And that's why even John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. I don't want to get in the way of God's plan, but I want to join partnership with him so he can use me as an ordinary person to do extraordinary things. And that's why Paul cried out, you know, in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. It's not me. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, that I, by the faith of Christ, might do the things that Christ is doing. Not according to the flesh, but by the faith of Christ. In Galatians 6.14, similar. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom I'm crucified to this world and this world to me. A double crucifixion to make sure you're dead to your own ideas. Letter B. And I'm just going to walk through these and we'll you can look up some of them later. But the fear of the Lord engrafts humility, in teachability. Remember the boy Samuel? He lived in the days where there was no open vision in the land. People did not know the Bible. And all Samuel said was this. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. That's all God wants out of you. You should say that every time you open your Bible. Speak, Lord. I want the ears of my heart to hear you. Not the ears of my head. Let her see the fear of the Lord grants laborers Christ-like meekness. You know the song you rest earlier uh, sang earlier for rest for the soul, where Jesus said, "Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn." of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. When I think of Jesus, I don't think of meek and lowly in heart and humility, but he was when he went to the cross and denied himself. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke. Stay close. And then he shifted gears. Take my yoke upon you, and you shall find rest for your souls. He said, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. It's a gift, but you've got to open that gift. Then you'll find rest. God's always giving, but are we using it? Are we opening that beautiful gift so we actually understand? Now I get it. Now I get it. To see people through Jesus' eyes when I want to kind of write them off, I'm fed up with them. Well, thank God the day that Jesus was fed up with me and you that He just just didn't say, forget them. You don't give up on anybody. Because God's never given up on you. The fear of the Lord enlightens us to wait on God. And you can look it up later in Isaiah 30, 18, where it says, God's waiting on you to learn to wait on Him. We live in a culture of impatience. I want it now. No, I wanted it yesterday, not now. We want everything now, wrapped in a nice bow and a box. And God said, no. Some things I'm just going to give you. I mean, one of the things that amazed me when I got saved, and I had no idea this was coming, I began to hate what I used to love. And then I began to love what I used to hate, those religious kooks on TV that were having affairs and having an air-conditioned doghouse and blah, 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 and, and getting ten, dollars 15000 gifts from people. If you, uh, you, this one I couldn't even believe. A Catholic lady came up to me after church and said, you know, it's the first time I've been here, and I, I've never heard anything like this. I've been a Catholic my whole life, and I'm 62 years old, and my grandma just died. I said, yeah, kind of thinking, where are you going with this? She said, well, I go to Queen of Heaven Catholic Church just around the corner from here. And I went to the priest and said, my grandma died. And I want him to do the funeral. And he said, well, your grandma's not been here in 25 years. If you'll write me a check for $10,000, I'll do her funeral. And I've heard that story more than once. The Catholic Church doesn't care about people. They care about image and money, 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 money. The richest church in the world is the Roman Catholic Church. We'll leave that where it is in God's hands. Letter E, the fear of the Lord deepens our roots to abide in Christ. You're familiar with that. You can read all of John 15. Letter F, the fear of the Lord protects us as we abstain from all appearance of evil. All appearance of evil. Don't even get close to it. Don't even let that temptation go from your mind to your heart. Because He'll protect you, spirit, soul, and body, as He promised you in 1 Thessalonians 5. Look that one up later. Letter G, the fear of the Lord equips us to do the work we're saved to do. You know that. Our Our whole church is built on Ephesians 4, doing the work. God didn't save you to take you to heaven. He saved you to get busy doing the work of reaching people like He has reached us. And you know, one of the things I often ask my youth, because they would bring this up, well, how do you measure the fear of the Lord? Is there a practical way that I can measure the fear of the Lord? And I said, yeah, life change. Life change. I didn't even know what it meant to fear the Lord and my life changed. And when I found out what it meant to fear the Lord, my life changed even more than I ever thought it could. And I'll give you an example. There was a young man. I was leading a Bible study in his home. And the Bible study was wrapping up after about 12 weeks. much High School area. And his mom pulled me aside one night as he left the room and tears just started pouring down his face. And I said, what's wrong? She said, don't let him fool you. He knows the verses. He's gone to Christian schools. But he is totally disrespectful to me, his sister, and his dad. It's not only disrespect, they butt heads almost every single day. And it's all an image when he's with you. She said, he gets up in the morning, and this is one of these women you could <laughs> eat off her floor. Everything was in order, clean, and a perfect place. He'd get up in the morning before she did to, to get on the bus to go to CVCA. And he would leave the cu- cupboard doors open, the dish on the counter, the, the silver, pour milk on it, everything that he could to get her goat when she woke up. His sister, he'd take all the clothes out of her closet, and she was a clean freak, organization freak, like him, and and when she wasn't there, he'd throw them on the floor. She said, I'm not even sure he's saved. I said, Well, I would get that. So, long story short, I started meeting with him, and I found out he just happened to love to fish. And that's me from A to Z. Found out that he liked to make his own lures, and I made my own lures. And we started going right down here, behind here, to the Grand River, fishing for steelhead. And we started doing everything together, and then I started working him through. You know, Jesus was a fisher of men. You may try and fake out your buddies, you're not going to fake me out. So it's time to get real. If we're gonna keep spending time together, you've gotta really start showing fruits hanging from the tree or we're done. I'm not wasting my time with counterfeits. Jesus didn't. So long story short, I asked him to go on a mission trip, which meant he had to go through 10 weeks of training. And I'm one of those guys, when I say the bus is leaving at 10 o'clock, don't show up at 10.01 because you won't be on the bus. Especially when we're going on a mission trip, and it's an eight-hour drive, and people are waiting for us. We've got a lot of things to organize. And it comes at 10 o'clock moment, and Daryl's not there. And he didn't show up the night before because he had a wrestling banquet, and he was a captain of the wrestling team. So I thought, oh maybe he's getting things together, but I can't show the kids. I'm gonna wait on them, I'm wrestling with it. And all of a sudden I hear these screeching tires coming around the corner at Akron University. His dad's driving into the parking lot, the car almost goes airborne, is bounce, bounce, bounce. His dad pulls up next to the bus, opens the door where Daryl is, grabs him by the shirt, pulls him out and says, Get on that bus, you're going. I thought, what is going on here? And I thought, I don't want to know. Daryl's on the bus. I got on and the bus driver takes off and we're doing it on a mission trip down to West Virginia. And about halfway there, I go back and Daryl's sitting in the back corner by himself. And you can tell he is livid with anger. And I said, OK, tell me what's going on. He said, my mom and I got in a major argument last night. I had all my money stuck in my pocket. I forgot it. She threw my jeans in the wash without talking to me. All my money was in the wash. That's the money I was going to take with me. Some of it tore. I said, get a life. Your dad will give you more money. No, you don't understand. My mom, my mom, my mom. Oh, shut up. It's not about your mom. It's about you. And your tongue and your attitude. And I didn't say it quite that forcefully because we have a busload of other peers. (laughs) I said, okay, everybody showed up last night and everybody has a specific responsibility for Vacation Bible School down in this little town called Bastion, Virginia. And I said, what do you want to do? He said, I don't know. What's left? And I said, well, I've got a third grade class left. He said... I hate children. I said, wait a minute. We're going to do VBS with children. How how can you hate children? He said, I hate children. He said, what if teenagers come? Can I do a Bible study with teenagers? And I said, well, right now we just opened it up to children. So I said, let's see what works out. Well, long story short, I asked the lady who's running the church. They have no pastor. I said, how many teenagers live in this community? And she said, well, maybe eight. Real small community. I said, how many of them come to this church? She said, two. I said, can you try and pull together a group of kids? Because those two reach their peers, because everybody in this community knew each other. See if we have a group. So sure enough, we have eight teenagers. And Daryl, day by day, started to fall in love with somebody other than himself. And by the end of the week, we always closed the week out with a big gathering, uh, you know, playing ball down on the field and something for the kids and a picnic type of thing. And the kids got to share their memory verses before their parents. You know how that works with, at, at church. And so I told Daryl, tomorrow you're going to lead the adult softball game. And I'm going to get some of the girls to to lead the uh, children's thing. So I'm looking around I said, where's Daryl? Where in the world is Daryl? He's supposed to run this thing. And I see these girls coming down off the hill. And I said, what are you doing here? And I said, where's Daryl? And they said, he's up on the hill playing with the children. I said, What? (laughs) He hates children. And they, 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 no, he doesn't hate them. And he's up there playing duck, duck, goose, and he's the duck, duck. You know, and he's playing with these little, little kids. And I said, "Who is this guy?" That's what happens when you open your heart to something you think you'll never do, either because you don't want to, you don't think I can't do that. I never wanted to be a pastor, let alone a senior pastor. And now that I've been a senior pastor, I don't ever want to be a senior pastor again. I'd rather work with people that are teachable and don't drive me nuts. Okay, forget all that. (laughs) But the reality of it is, Daryl ended up leading all of Akron University's evangelistic outreach for four years. After that, he went to seminary. Got a seminary degree in Christian education to work with children. Ended up going to a church that had 400 children and one of the largest churches in Oregon, writing a book on how to build a children's ministry. And it's like, who is this guy? It's the hand of God. It's all God. I mean, I saw a life change in six days that his parents had tried to create the change for 18 years, pretty much. And sometimes as a parent, that's why I trust that all of you have a great respect for your parents. You have no idea the heartache a parent has over the littlest things until you've been a parent. But just walk through the rest of this and you can look up these verses. But the fear of the Lord awakens us daily with a desire to just bless God. The fear of the Lord uses ordinary people just to do extraordinary things. And my challenge to my youth was always as a young man, dare to be a Daniel. Just dare to be a Daniel when nobody else will stand up. Or dare to be an Esther in such a time as this. Pray about having a vision to reach your school if you're not already doing that. And just pull one other person together with you and go with two of you and then build it to four and say, watch what God does. Because we ended up going from one high school Bible study to six. And there were so many kids being discipled, I had to train 150 couples, actually, 100 people, because there were so many youth that were getting involved. Because of positive peer pressure. They saw the changes in their peers. And you know, you can fight people's words, but it's pretty hard to fight the reality of what happened to you. Over the summer, you were a different person in May when when we left, and now you're coming back, you know, for senior. What happened to you? God. God. The grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the appetite in this room of young people who hunger and thirst to know you better, to serve you better, to, to just be open to, Lord, what do you want me to do now that I know these things? And to whom much has been given, much is required. What do you want me to do? And Lord, you always answer that prayer. You always answer it exceeding abundantly, even upon our requests. No matter where we're at in life, Your general thumb is in our back. Just keep taking steps. Keep moving towards the cross and die to self and watch what I can do. So we praise you together and thank you for this time together, just opening this book, this incredible book of precious promises that give us a precious faith. As we pray this things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you much.